podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen once again dominated the Red Bull ring and he beat Charles Leclerc and his teammate Sergio Perez. It was a provisional result, as it always is, but boy, oh boy, were we treated to some uh, some interesting events afterwards as Aston Martin then protested the provisional result because of track limits. Turns 9, turn 10, catching people out all weekend and they said, hang on a minute, we think you missed some. The FIA said, all right, we think your protest is admissible, but it doesn't matter because we were already reviewing over 1,200 potential incidents of violation. <laughs> so it was only like 1,400 or so laps in the race from all the drivers. Then, at 9.50pm local time, the FIA finally handed out an additional 12 penalties for track limit offences, which totally reshaped the order, which... When you turned off your TV on Sunday afternoon, you may not have realised. Max Verstappen kept his win. Charles Leclerc was still second. Sergio Perez was still third. So great, they haven't had to play around with who took the trophy home. Lando Norris was upper place to fourth. Fernando Alonso upper place to fifth because Carlos Sainz demoted two places to sixth with a penalty. George Russell inherited Lewis Hamilton's place. They swap around. Same points for Merck as a team. Uh, So George, seventh, Lewis, eighth. Lance Stroll up to ninth. And Pierre Gasly down to tenth. Esteban Ocon, uh, who wasn't in the top ten anyway, picking up 30 seconds of penalties. What track was he even driving? I'm joined to discuss on the podcast tonight, uh, somewhat amusingly, the situation tonight. Uh, Bye. Uh, our own Matt Q and our F1 reporter, Philip Clearan, and Sam Hall, who's just joined us uh, here at Autosport for a couple of Friday podcasts recently. We love what he had to say. So I said, oh, why don't you come on Sunday's show and have a good old rant about track limits? And he said, oh, go on then. Let's get into it then. So Matt, what happened and what your thoughts on it are? I think the way into this is to go hero of the season is, and that's grandiose, but Andy Stevenson, the sporting director of Aston Martin, because in this mega battle behind Red Bull, he has single-handedly earned his team five points this season by uh, by nailing the rule book. So if we wind back to uh, Saudi Arabian protesting the 10-second penalty for Fernando Alonso, incorrectly serving a pit stop penalty, he's got that overturned. And then it's him that's represented Aston Martin as they've protested the results of the Austra- Austrian Grand Prix because he, or the team believed and they've been proved right in their beliefs that basically of all this mental track limits abuses mainly it turns nine and ten not all of them were being recorded people have been on two three four indiscretions have been incorrectly penalized or escape penalties altogether so what you've got uh 20 drivers doing 71 laps so a possible sort of 1400 plus cases of uh, track limits abuses well the FIA reckon they've reviewed 1200 of them or more and have come through and issued 12 new penalties at the end of the race revised the uh order and the main movers and shakers of that are Carlos Sainz drops two places to promote McLaren's Lando Norris to fourth and Aston Martin's uh, Fernando Alonso up to sixth. Lewis Hamilton's had a penalty upgraded. Espen Ocon's been given four uh, penalties, as you know, and so on. So 12 additional penalties, both Williams drivers, both Alvatore drivers. And uh, we've got something akin to Saudi Arabia where the FIA, who, um, you know, since Abu Dhabi 21 basically have had a massive reputational damage. They look 
a bit weak bit for being slow and basically holding their hands up and go sorry we uh, we couldn't monitor everything in the race the Red Bull ring doesn't look very good because gravel traps has been suggested by the FIA as a solution they've said no to them drivers don't look very good because they can't keep within the painted white lines and then you've got sort of the 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 track limits debates where what defines the edge of the track and how strictly should it be policed and the overarching theme is this is formula one the pinnacle of motorsport don't we all look silly does that work martin i think it's brilliant i think that sums it up perfectly uh phil you are uh, you have been at the red bull ring all this weekend what's your take on this because you were the one hanging around for a result from the stewards yeah not exactly the first time we were hanging around for a result from the stewards this season but there you go that's part of the gig i think it just started with a bit of amusement early this weekend uh when the track limits things started happening in sprint um, in qualifying on friday and then spring qualifying but then it just turned into a complete nightmare today because the timing screen that you have you know next to that you have got the the notice board and it was just filling up with track limits after track limits after delete the time so yeah years very fast ago really so in the end of the day at the end of the day given how many labs they had to investigate maybe it was not even that late it's only 10 30 local now i guess uh, we'll take it going into this event before you you know got on a plane to head there did you think this was going to be such a big deal as it turned out to be maybe not to this degree but yeah, you know, it's always been a problem here at the Red Bull Ring. Turn nine and turn ten are just quite notorious for that, given that it's you know, it's really hard to get it right sometimes, uh, trying to get a good launch onto the main straight. And there's just no real punishment for going white because it's just all asshole. So, yeah, this has been a problem in the past. You know, the FIA was really keen to change the track. That hasn't happened. And now we'll have to have another look because this really can't happen again. It does. It's not great for the sport when people turn off their TV and the result changes. Because it doesn't happen in many other sports that, that I can think about. And, and yet so many sports are governed by fixed constraints, if you want to you know, say that. Now, I thought on Friday when, after... Uh, we had the Friday action. I think it was Max Verstappen described it as, oh, you, they, they make us all look like amateurs. And and I was thinking, yeah, but, you know, in football, there's white lines painted on the ground. And whether you're playing, you know, a Sunday morning game with your mates or whether you're watching Premier League, like sometimes the ball crosses it. And it doesn't happen, obviously, these days a bit with, with, with VAR and stuff. But if it goes out for a throw-in, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. But that's the constraint of the game. I don't know why this is even up for debate. Yeah, well, look, we've been all crying out for years, and by we, I mean fans, journalists, teams, drivers, we've all been crying out for consistency. Either you're in or you're out. And now we have this, and if the track design isn't ideal for that, then this is the result. The rules have been followed to a T. Because of the track design, it's just, it's just a flood of, of uh, transgressions. And the track design is such that MotoGP also race there. And the argument is, well, bikes don't like gravel. It's unsafe. Totally agree. But by the way, richest, one of the richest sports in the world. We're talking about two corners. I'm pretty sure you can put either some gravel down for this weekend and then put asphalt and grass and safety because MotoGP aren't racing there tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. 
It's not an excuse. I see it argued online. Well, MotoGP are here and, you know, they need the runoff. I, I understand that, but this is the Red Bull ring as well. They're not short of some money. Sam, let's bring you in because it's been a while. What's your thought? The FIA look a bit silly. The track looks a bit silly. But, but for me, it's neither of those has, other than the time it's taken the FIA to make these decisions, neither of them has any cause to really look silly here because it's down to the drivers to stay between the white lines. It's the drivers going on, driving the cars, obviously. They are pushing every lap and they're pushing the limits because that is the quickest way around the track. And if you push too hard, you're going to go off the track. And if you go off the track, it's on you. You have to suffer the consequences. I mean, we're not talking about England, Germany and the World Cup that was a farce here. We're talking about sort of, you know, this is, it's a strict boundary. It's you're either in or you're out. It's if we want to go to football, it's like you've got the VAR offside decisions here um, in the Premier League at the moment where they can be offside by a nasal hair. But if you're offside, you're offside here. If you're off the track, you are off the track. The circuit has been okayed by the FIA and it's down to the drivers to drive that circuit as it is. It shouldn't matter if there's gravel there or not. I know it helps, but it's it's amazing how in the wet they can steer clear of these white lines. They can steer clear of the grass and gravel because there's not any grip there. But when there is grip to be had, suddenly they're all over it. So, I mean, you, you can't... I know it's difficult. I'm not disputing that. But these are supposed to be some of the best drivers in the world, why can't they do it? Um, if you can make up your own te- own track if you want, I'm sure any of us can get around there blindingly quick as well. So if you go into... So we're heading into Silverstone next weekend. If you go into Maggots and Beckett's, 190 miles an hour, you'll probably get through there, you know, if you're in a half-decent car. If you go in at 200 miles an hour and you're dry, driving a Williams you're probably going to have a pretty big end to your day because you push too much. So you slow down a little bit. I'm trying to use ridiculous examples to illustrate like strength of feeling here to the listeners. The way to do this, to stay within the track, is don't go outside the track, which the drivers say it's not fair, we can't push. Fine, push through maggots and beckets and see how that ends. It ends really badly with you in hospital, so they won't. Uh, Matt, how do we solve this problem one solution is to ban all forms of two-wheeled motorsport so get rid of moto gp but uh uh that is uh oh, red bull rings actually a bad example for that because you know it's uh, owned by a phenomenally rich company but for most circuits that's not a very good business model is to get rid of half your race meetings anymore and and by what i mean by that is just stick a load of gravel traps on and you know leave it to the riders to uh, not high side and break their collarbone, collarbones every five minutes. Uh, grass is an alternative, but you know the downside of that is the minute it gets wet, it's impossible to scrub off any speed. So you have the you know a very very quick collision with the barriers. Uh, Karun Chantok has uh, talked on Twitter about putting the FIA where you have basically curb, gravel trap. And then after sort of a couple of meters of it, then you have a strip of tarmac. So riders can gather it together. They slide on gracefully, but it is still the deterrent. I suppose you could uh, also... 
be stricter on the rules in sense of car design because this is something that came up in the video with with our colleague John Nabel was talking about that one of the reasons this has become so much worse in 2023 as opposed to 2022 is um, because we've had changes to car design and so drivers are being less protective over the ground effects floor which unlock everything so I suppose you could you know uh, now that you could basically allow porpoising back in if you wanted. So drivers are, you know, are more protective over the floor by uh, getting rid of the tolerances. Or you could, and this is expensive, but you know, Formula One's a rich person's game that's so doing it. But like MSV tracks around the UK, they have pressure pads, so you can have the technology where you know it sent it something is depressed into the service. That's because too much weight's been put onto it on a perimeter, and then you can correspond that to the transponder and go, Carlos signs you bang to rights, mate. Uh, that's that's your third offence black and white flag do it again in your bus rather than having the process of what we've had where you know okay we've had the penalties now but if you're a sporting director flicking through the rule book and you're let's say uh pierre gasly who's got one penalty as opposed to esteban ocon who's got four penalties you go ah yes well i've got a penalty for doing four offenses but it wasn't raised to me within the 71 laps that my driver was on a black and white flag and obviously if we had a radio to tell him he was on a black and white flag i promise you he wouldn't have done it again so therefore that five second penalty is null and void so that's sort of you know the bigger debate we've got so there are several ways to get around it but um to sort of copy john again from the video we did earlier uh i bet the house I haven't yet completed on that there's a gravel trap outside turns 9 and 10 uh, next year and we let MotoGP do as MotoGP does come what may. I'm going to disagree with Matt there. I'm going to jump in and disagree with him on kicking this off well. I don't think there'll be gravel there because the nature of the corner is so high speed turns 9 and 10 that you just watch how quickly all the teams complain when one of their drivers runs wide clips the gravel and barrel rolls because they've dug into the gravel and rolled their car. Suddenly they'll all be crying and saying, we want tarmac back because it's the safest alternative. What I would do, and this isn't going to be popular because no one likes the way it looks, is I would look to Paul Ricard for my answer here. And their high grip, (laughs) their high grip and extra high grip runoff that absolutely chews up your tyres and destroys your tyres if you dare to go on it, because that is an active deterrent with these chewing gum tires that we've got. And if you run wide, you genuinely are going to suffer later in your stint. You might not suffer immediately, but you will suffer. So, I mean, that possibly, if you could paint it slightly nicer, is actually the best scenario that I can think of off the top of my head. Well, I'm glad I'm not in the same room as Sam because I don't want to be after what you just said. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, you know, Sam's got a point, but we we didn't have this discussion ten or fifteen years ago. So there has to be a way to, with the technology we have, to come up with a, a solution. Whether it's uh, like uh, like Matt suggested, if you've got a strip of gravel first and then tarmac, or if you if you have you know the sensors that can give you an instantaneous solution, a binary. You know, you're in or you're out without having to wait for stewards to look at it and then delay the whole thing. But at the end of the day, we don't want to see penalties. So there has to be some sort of natural punishment to me so that we could talk about the racing and not about who's got penalties and how many. Yeah, I, I'm leaning more and more as we have this discussion towards technology 
to solve this. There has to be a tech solution. Like if I walk down my driveway at night, the light comes on because it knows that I've crossed a certain line. Okay, so that's a bad example. Let me use a better one. Right, the new in-car cameras that we see now, those onboard shots where there's a battle going on and you go on board with the car that's following and they manage to overlay how many meters ahead the car it's chasing down is. I don't know how they do that, maybe with some sort of imaging or AI or something. Like That's incredible. That's really good technology. It really improves the fan experience when we're watching it. And I don't know how they do it, whether it's you know infrared or the sensors that are on our, our road cars these days that keep you in your lane and do all that self-drive. Was it LiDAR and radar and stuff? But like it's so cool when they do that. It's such a high-tech sport. Why can we not just have a system where... It knows that the car has gone out of... You haven't got to put it on every single corner. It's just turn 9, turn 10 in Austria. It will just flag up immediately. A bit like watching football when a player is just edging towards a yellow card. And you you know it. And then you get a yellow and go, okay, so he's on a yellow. He might pull his neck in a little bit. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes they do. And it's like, if we just had a system that was automated, it's not fair on the stewards. I know that the FIA take a good kicking on this. It's also not fair on the stewards to overload them with 1,200 reviews because race control, I've never, I've never sat in race control for a Formula One meeting, but I've sat in a race control for a race meeting. And like, it's insane on, an, on any other racetrack, any other formula. Like, they've got like 400 screens and a million things happening at once. And then they've got to do 1,200 reviews of track limits. So I'm leaning towards technology. It ha- there has to be a solution. Uh, to this, but uh, but 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 Matt, do you think we're going to see this again for the rest of 2023 at the various circuits we're going to be going to, or is it specifically a Red Bull ring problem? Uh, off the top of my head, it won't be as bad as it was here. I think this this track was bad for it. Those turns nine and ten last year, because you know downhill, off camber, end of a lap. Uh, it, it sets up nicely for track limits offences, but there will be there will be other cases. I, I just don't think it'll be as as bad as as bad as this one. Um, I have to add on the on the technology front that for me is the only solution. So um, you know I can I can say I've I've done a bit of marshalling in 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 years gone by, and um, you know having covered UK national motorsport, a lot of track limits is done there by marshals radioing in. They have they do a brilliant job, but where that works is you know that's a very politely to all the owners of them that's an MGB that's going around a corner at 45 miles now not 145 so you've got more time to observe uh, observe and also you know you do have a possibility where a marshal is observing from you know one position then a colleague goes right there's an oil spill we need to deploy a yellow flag they communicate and then they walk back but they might be three or four paces in a different position which doesn't sound like a lot uh, but but you know an F1 car when when the margins are so fine we're talking millimeters over that can sort of alter your perspective ever so slightly so therefore whether it is AI doing a top down 360 degree view like you know like you know posh Range Rovers do with their with their parking cameras or something it needs to be that kind of technology so it is you know and it's not going to get knocked or uh, knocks askew in a bit of contact it has to be sort of infallible so therefore i think that rules out rules out humans and also the other side to that is as you've seen when when it's a less automated process you'll wait until four hours after the race is concluded to get result it has to be something that brings about uniformity which is the only thing that's in keeping with the spirit of f1 where you're spending 140 million to work with space 
you know the space aerospace industry for the supreme level of technology where it pushes the boundaries of science and engineering and it's all about perfect execution the way that car then manifests itself on track okay it has a fleshy driver behind the wheel but it can't be up to human error or human fault therefore to decide other things i know there's a hashtag human error champion about all the abby dabby nonsense but in this in this point specifically track limits it it when when so much precision basically is going into into putting that race car on track it, it has to be completely thoroughly policed which which it wasn't today it just you, you see what i mean it's just like the ethos of the two things are at odds with one another it doesn't sit well Money cannot be the con- the constraining factor in sorting this problem out because although we have a you know it, we're in a cost cap era now in Formula One and you know sports car racing the cost has been has been reined in before that happened to do a, you know a fairly decent sports car run and go and have a go at winning Le Mans or you know a Mercedes or a Ferrari or Red Bull was was four to five hundred million dollars. A year, those are the genuine budgets of F one teams. We're between four and five hundred million a year before we reined it in. Uh, it, it's unlike so many other sports in the world. Money can't be, or technology can't be, the excuse here. And as Matt said earlier, twelve months ago, the recommendation was sort this out for twelve months' time. And the stewards today, in their ruling, I haven't got it open on my screen, but they said it needs to be sorted out for next. Yeah. So when the when the document comes out and it says uh, we have, uh, I've got it here. They go. Uh, the quote is: "The stewards very strongly recommend that a solution be found to the situation at this circuit." And uh, f- final point on this, actually, final point. So with all the penalties, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, Pierre Gasly, Albon, the four for Ocon, Sergeant two for De Vries, and one for Sonoda, um, they then had to justify. Because there's no chance to give the black and white flag and for a driver to slow down, not take the risks. We'll get into, that's my final question. I'll ask all of you guys in a minute. Um, they then have to then give some reasoning to say, well, if there were four infringements, we applied a five-second penalty. If there was five infringements, we decided on a 10-second penalty. Then we decided on a reset. And that's been allowed because of the number of infringements. The counting of infringements then restarted after this reset. When there were another four infringements, we then started with the new five-second penalty. And again, I don't think this is in the rule book. I think they've had to try and apply some common sense or reasoning today to, you know, Esteban Ocon doing 71 laps outside the circuits. I think he's driving around the car park at one point. So, right, final question. Uh, Matt, I'll come back to you. Is it fair these penalties that have been handed out today because we touched on it already if those drivers get the black and white flag and slow down it gives the driver behind an opportunity to attack them if they are driving quicker within the racetrack is what the stewards decided today a fair penalty to everyone based on and obviously i was listening to you completely martin but based on having a quick scroll of twitter during during the last minute <laughs> oh don't do that i i would say no on the basis that someone uh, from a rival website so i can't possibly give them a plug race fans uh, they have said that um there were 83 um cases of track limits offences that have been identified as we sit here now recording several hours of the race they reckon 70 of those were flagged during the race now i don't know the exact breakdown of that sitting now but in those 13 
if there is a case, let's say Carlos Sainz is the highest ranked person to lose out because of the um, redone results. If there is a case of, um, and actually that's a terrible example because he was penalised anyway, but let's stick with it. But if there is a case of one of those being among the 13 that weren't identified and that being the difference between his race engineer going, that's a black and white flag, don't do it again, and him getting a penalty, then then that is a race result change because of the way that has been implemented. So in that sense, yeah, I think you've said rightly that the results have been made up a bit ad hoc for this situation. So if you're the sporting director at Ferrari trying to do what Andy Stevenson's at Aston Martin going, right, let's flick through for a precedent. Well, this is, you know, as the FIA said, this is an unprecedented scenario and be the precise wording of the rules. Well, we're not sure we've really got those. Can I then go back and argue that the black and white flag I never had, but if I had got, I wouldn't have got that penalty, which has now changed the result. That's like, that's a lot of, a lot of grey air area so it's it's very interesting to like vacillate over but again we come away over it going you know we're sort of we're sort of uh, making it up as we go along here and and that's not very good for formula one like you said it's common sense and we've had a sprint weekend with two qualifying sessions where drivers knew that their lap time was going to get deleted if they crossed the line they know about turn nine about turn ten you could argue that you know they should know to stay away or not cross the line there without having to be reminded. Yes, I do think it's fair. I take the point on the black and white flags and them sort of maybe saying, if we had have known, we would have steered clear. But they saw the amount of penalties and warnings that were being handed out in race. So why would you not have told, like I think it was Lando Norris's engineer told him, steer clear, people are getting penalties. Why would every race engineer not have got on the radio and gone, Look, be careful at turn nine, ten. Everyone's being looked at for this. It is fair if you've done wrong, then you get penalised. It's just the amount of time after the race that skews that picture and creates doubt. But if, let's say, uh, was it Albon? He was one of the examples in the race, wasn't he? Where he, you know, it was reported that he got a bit irksome over team radio because he hadn't been told he was on a black and white flag. Anyway, like when you are in a DRS train and overtaking is so possible. If you're a race engineer, you go, yes, this is bad, but I'm going to leave my driver in a rhythm. And if he runs wide and gets what's strike two out of, you know, four before he's penalised, am I going to let him have those couple of tents to pull clear of DRS? Maybe I would actually. And like, like, so I'm not saying that one's right or wrong, but I suppose when when there is the delay, these are the sort of thought processes that you, you have to allow for or, or, or that weren't eliminated because it wasn't, bam, line uh wheel over the light lines you know strike one and it wasn't like such an immediate process i will just add as well you are you asked a minute ago martin about will we see this again this season and i Mm. think we will only see this again possibly even to this extent once more this year and that's actually at silverstone at cops because we know that fair enough there's some very very harsh curbs on the outside um uh, but we know that drivers like to go flat out through there and they do run all four wheels onto the curb, onto the runoff. So possibly saying to this this extent is exaggerating slightly, but I, th- I think we will be talking again about track limits and drivers will be going, oh, it should be the edge of the curb because it used to be. Um, but yeah, Silverstone's one to watch out for with this. Yeah, I've also got uh, social media open while we're talking. I've just seen one 
come through from uh, while we're plugging other things. Uh, Brad Philpot or Bradley Philpot, who is uh, sometimes on the Missed Apex F1 podcast, very good with spanners and trumpets. Uh, it's a great fan podcast, and he makes an uh, an argument against what I said earlier on the YouTube video that I made with Matt and uh, John Noble, and we haven't published it yet, so he's not aiming it at me. Uh, but I made the point about. You know, Monaco, everyone stays within the track limits at Monaco. And it wouldn't be fair if everyone did. But then when one driver comes around, the uh, the, the the marshals run out and, you know, move the barrier back at swimming pool a bit, give them an advantage. It would clearly be unfair. And I was trying to think of stupid examples to, to try and highlight the stupidity of this whole situation. And he says, but you can't use the example of street circuits because barriers are 3D. And in a modern Formula One car, you can't see the the painted lines, but you can see a wall coming towards you. So that's the anti-argument to what I said earlier on the, on, on the video. So um, just, just another perspective to make your mind up, uh, to make your mind up on this subject. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll actually talk about you know, some motor racing that we saw today. Stick around back in a second. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Max Verstappen won today and he made it look really easy. But I want to find out from our experts on the podcast today if it was that easy. When he needed to, Matt, he pulled out you know, a 10-second gap in 10 laps. When he needed to, he could just take a cheeky pit stop at the end and get some, uh, some fresh tyres and do a fastest lap because he had such a big gap. And he, he made it look easy. I'm sure that any team dominant as Red Bull, as Mercedes a few years ago, you want to hide your performance as much as possible so that the regulators, those that want to show, and we, and we are in a different era to Bernie Eccleston, uh, so that those that want a show don't fiddle around too much and, uh, you know, rig the deck against you. But I think we're seeing more and more signs at certain circuits, Matt, that they are still holding stuff back, still holding things in reserve, and that when they really need to, they can pull out some impressive performance from that rocket ship. Uh, uh, do you agree or, or, or disagree? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by disagreeing. That's saying like so in qualifying we had the unprecedented scenario. Gosh, stop saying that word after COVID and the FIA Christ. But we've had we've had the scenario where. 20 cars were split from 0.896 seconds, I think it was. So, you know, 10 corners, only eight of which are actual corners. There's, there's eight tenths separating you. As brilliant as Max Verstappen is, as brilliant as Red Bull are, are you gonna are you gonna try and only give it sort of nine tenths to still get pole but sandbag a little bit and and then when the margins are so fine? So I think over a lap we've certainly seen the pace. And today that, you know, Red Bull did sort of flex its muscles, you know it will go down in history people will look at the the result sheets the revised result sheets even and see that Verstappen won by five seconds but everyone who know, watched the race knows that's not the case because he pitted fastest lap you know so it should have been 25 seconds uh the way he came back past Leclerc and this was Ferrari on a good day it's such a dominant performance I don't want to I don't want to sort of stray too far away from Verstappen because we need to dissect Red Bull later in the podcast uh, sorry we need to dissect Ferrari later in the podcast but Red Bull were dominant. I think Ferrari's performance flattered to deceive despite the headline result of second place. But I think what this does, and this is my cop-out answer, is in Canada, um, people were talking about, because of Ferrari race pace, people were talking about, well, you know, ATR's kicking in. Maybe Red Bull 
right, it hasn't taken a step back. You can't unlearn what you know, but maybe other teams have closed the closed the gap. Well, without introducing a significant update, Red Bull should have won by 25 seconds. The way that Perez was able to fight back from a dismal qualifying session to, to get third place and, you know, who knows, without, without making a ham fist of battling with Carlos Sainz maybe it could have been closer <laughs> to second but with with those things the confidence of getting faster slap point like the 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 the, the allegation if you like from previous races that Red Bull were being hauled in I think I think it's probably um I think it's become a hell of a lot weaker after the last 71 laps just humiliating for really the way Max um had just enough of a gap at the end to make uh that pits off for the final uh point for the fastest lap yeah, I don't think anybody else in the grid would have done that. Any other team would have done that. And actually, it was really just because Max has that um, status in a team and that confidence that Rebel, you know, let him do it. And for him to just come right out in front of Leclerc, it's just, yeah, it was such a striking sight, really. Cause that doesn't normally happen. Like, you pit with, what was it, 24 seconds of a gap? And yeah, it's just demonstrated the total ease and the total confidence that, you know, even if if it's tiny risk, they're just so much quicker that they can afford to do it. That is uh, Usain Bolt, you know, setting the world record with his shoelaces undone, patting his chest and looking at the camera as he crosses the line, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Sam, your thoughts on Red Bull? There's not much, to be honest, that the others haven't said, really. I mean, Red Bull... And Max especially, absolutely dominant. I mean, if it hadn't have been because McLaren had a wonderful day in an otherwise average season, Max should have absolutely dominated the driver of the day. I think people are just absolutely bored witless of the same driver winning over and over again. Doesn't that sound familiar? Verstappen didn't put a foot wrong. He only had a couple of blips where he went, um, he caused a track limits violation. I promise I won't say that again. Other than that, he was flawless. Um, It was just taking the mickey out of, to be honest, taking the mickey out of his teammate more than anything at the end of the race going, ha ha ha, look, you had this point. It's mine now. He didn't need to. He's got a million point advantage. (laughs) He really, what? What, what what more do you want? Um, it's, it's like a millionaire asking for change at McDonald's, that one, isn't it? And that's exactly it. And, and, on, and on Perez, he has said he was sick all weekend, hasn't slept, had fever. Um, so, yeah, make of that what you will. Uh, be genuinely poorly, that's an incredible result to go 15th to 3rd. And other people, I still hear other people say, yes, but you're driving what could easily be in you know a second a second place car every race if uh, if you drove a bit quicker and and qualified a bit better so i don't know i think we have to give Perez some, some praise at least for coming from a long way back but that red bull is really really special in so many circumstances um yeah so we will talk uh, i think we'll probably have a decent half decent chat about uh aston martin and mclaren in a bit but let's talk about those ferraris then matt we saw them win last year probably would have been a one two if science Ferrari hadn't eaten itself. What makes this circuit work well for Ferrari? Didn't win today, but looked better. And, and will we see the same again in Silverstone, or is this track specific, Matt? Uh, a bit of that, and in, in a sense, if you if you go back to the last year, they use a sprint race to sort of learn why they couldn't make their tires work, and um, 
not not quite the case this year because obviously the different conditions between the sprint but you know they they're obviously coming in with some knowledge i think i think i want to go back to sort of the qualifying answer which is like this is not me saying that i could you know qualify within 2 seconds of verstappen but when there are only 8 designated corners your lap times are going to be closer and more competitive and i, I think this was just i think it's it just i think ferrari were both managed to sort of clutch victory from the jaws of defeat and defeat from the jaws of victory as well. So if he, well, <laughs> okay. so even before the track limit saga, for the way Verstappen came back, got fastest lap for the battle between Prez and um, and Signs and for Leclerc having led for ten races, no one by that point was talking about Ferrari not being decisive interventionist you know it was qualified it qualified second and third and you've got mclaren and mercedes behind you therefore you have the stop gap you should be going after verstappen you know doing like a pincer maneuver almost or splitting your strategies they didn't do that they allowed signs the quicker car to stick behind leclerc which is fine they said they had a pre-race agreement that wasn't broadcast and they weren't sort of hot-footed enough to, to react to that and then as you know as alluded to, they didn't split their strategies. Perhaps they just thought that was the optimum to, to double stack under the VSC. And you can't predict always when a VSC is going to end, but Sainz was caught out by that. Gets a theoretically, who doesn't get the theoretically cheaper stop. But also things that you can control. So, okay, the car not being as quick as Red Bull is baked in until next season now. Uh, strategy, well, you know, much more difficult to manage. But nailing your pit stops, that's something you can rehearse over the winter that's something Fred Vassour could have set them you know with their homework and they could have been materially better at that Was but it was two four second stops wasn't it during that double stack so um, okay they always say that in a double stack the second car is slower because the pit crew hasn't got that momentum but no excuse for Leclerc and there was a delay with signs in the front left anyway so that's sloppy that's like the Ferrari greatest hits if you were but still they come out and through through the strategy Leclerc is able to get the advantage and once Verstappen is back into second place Leclerc is six seconds ahead that including overtake only lasts for 10 laps and then as I mentioned it should be a 25 second lead really from Verstappen before he pits for the final lap so one way of arguing it is that you know this is arguably Red Bull's most dominant performance of the season the other side to argue is that Ferrari did well at second place but they made loads of mistakes which we've seen them from from them before and had Aston Martin not fallen foul with Alonso strategy had Mercedes not had an absolute uh, uh, what's a PG word at this time of night? Uh, nightmare. Nightmare. <laughs> Thank you. There you go, that's yeah, it, nightmare. Had, then they would have either been with the Ferraris to show them, like that's the ballpark of the next best team or they would have been ahead of the Ferraris, perhaps. We don't know that for certain. But I, it, it, the drivers, the Ferrari drivers executed the race well enough. I just don't think the team did. Do you agree, Phil? Yeah. Matt already mentioned the, the strategy and, you know, it's not just Matt that thinks that because spoke to Carlos Sainz afterwards and he, he agreed. He was quite baffled. But the whole point of having two cars up there is that you can put pressure on whoever has only one car there because you, you can split the strategy. And it's quite remarkable that they didn't. Yeah, what can you say? It's not the first time. Carlos was really pissed off afterwards. And I'm sure they'll talk about it and smooth out. And then, you know, we'll see if, if, uh, if they learn from it. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. They've they've made a lot of changes in that department over the winter, and just they're still growing pains there clearly. 
Yeah, well, Charlotte Clare afterwards said there's so much more work to do. Carlos Sainz was furious about uh, today and said that that was, you know, that was before his penalty um, that they need to be doing better. And uh, the eventual result, second and sixth. Interesting point, actually, Matt. I'm glad you raised, and I had mentioned it before about Max has so much in hand that he can get, you throw 20 seconds away and go for fastest lap. But Sergio Perez did finish 17 seconds off Max, but that's a 37 second, really, uh, without Max taking that extra stop at the end. So maybe... No, I still want to be pretty complimentary to Sergio. I think I think I want to I give Sergio Perez some, some praise for doing that, if he really was, you know, uh, no, it's not sleeping and, 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 and full of fever. But let's also talk, uh, talk a little bit uh, about the McLarens, because Lando Norris now a net fourth with these with these penalties coming through. But again, you know, 26 seconds off or 46 seconds, if you like, off Max Verstappen. Lando Norris had the first set of upgrades. There'll be more for this weekend in Silverstone and Oscar gets them as well. Oscar Piastri finishing 16th, by the way. And then some more as well, two weeks after in, in Hungary. Um, Sam, what do you think of, uh, of the pace this weekend? One lap pace looked pretty good. Sprint was a bit wobbly weather-wise and he had to bail out of that weird incident between Max running Sergio Perez off the road. I think Lando didn't want to just ruin the bits of the car for the Grand Prix. Then he had one, they had one of everything, I think, uh, made. And so that ruined his sprint. Now we've got to see that McLaren in, in, in race pace. What do you think, Sam? Oh, it's, it was weird, that sprint one, because he said it went his car went into anti-stall. It wasn't actually that the Red Bulls ran him off the track or they were blocking him. It was just his, his car went into anti-stall. He wheel, spun his wheels up, went into anti-stall, and he was, he was just a passenger there, um, which was unfortunate because we saw how Nico Hülkenberg was able to jump through and go to second place for the majority of the first half of the sprint um, by what was going on, that could have been Lando. Lando didn't, again, say, same really copy and paste from what I said for Max in the race. He he, he didn't do anything wrong himself. Um, and he obviously finished fourth. The McLaren is actually what they described as sort of a B-spec car. Um, I'm always cautious of... Um, talking about up, upgrades and the performance of them at the Red Bull Ring because it's such a short track, as Matt's already said, with very, very few corners. So a lot of it is down to the straight line ability. When you go to somewhere like Silverstone, a three-tenth margin at the Red Bull Ring could become seven, eight-tenths without without thinking about it. Just a small mistake will put you over second back. So this is going to be a far bigger test. Um, but... It's positive. Um, they're up there at the moment, or at least at this track. They're up there with Aston Martin, Ferrari, Mercedes, which, given their start to the season, I'm, I didn't expect to be saying that at all this year. Phil, before we go, last five minutes, I, I you know, I won't cover off all the all the drivers of the teams, uh, but let's uh, your thoughts on on Aston Martin, a, a net fifth with Fernando Alonso because of the penalties, um, which by their standards. Is almost a disappointment now that you know Fernando's not on the on, on the podium, and yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about Aston or Mercedes, if you want, uh, yeah, you choose. What do you want to uh, say? Some words about either of those teams? Well, we could co- probably cover both of them in roughly the same strokes. I mean, they're both disappointing this weekend. Uh, start with Aston Martin. Uh, it seems to be a bit of a return of their Barcelona struggles, where. You know, on, on this type of circuit, it's not quite working as well as it was on, on the street circuits where they can 
you know, use their, their low speed prowess. And it, the, I don't think they really know why this isn't quite working out. But yeah, I'll, I'll also fifth. Um, obviously, you, know, you gain a position afterwards because of Carl Sainz's penalty. But yeah, if you look at where he's been uh, compared to Ferrari, even compared to Max in some circuits in, in qualifying, then finishing half a minute down the road is not exactly impressive. So it's clearly there's some struggles there with with uh, their pace on this sort of circuit. Uh, Alonso said afterwards, you know, we're a bit more confident that Silverstone will be a bit faster, a bit better for us. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, they'll they'll definitely have some some headaches about you know, where their pace is going on this type of circuit. And then I suppose, so what did you make? Yeah, I'm on, go ahead. On Mercedes, I don't think they really know what happened this weekend. It's a bit of a, a shocker <laughs> pace wise. Yeah, I mean we we really thought they have turned the corner after the upgrades that they introduced um, in Monaco, and then they they further managed to exploit them. They're really impressive in Canada with uh, Lewis on the podium there in third. And, yeah, they were really struggling this weekend. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see how they can fix it and what the cause was, because I don't think they know at the moment. We had a return to gr- grumpy Lewis, didn't we, uh, on the radio? And, and grumpy Toto <laughs> as well. Yeah, uh, I, on, I think I think it, the sprint format has shown one of Mercedes' biggest flaws of this season it's really shown up and that is they've just got such a really bad recent trend of really slow starts for a weekend don't know where you know they're unhappy with fp1 so they whack the settings in the other way for fp2 and you get further and further through the weekend and come the final stint of the race they're mega and it's just the car has such a narrow sweet spot and i think now with the sprint format only having one um, FP ones or one practice session before Park Fermo conditions locked in, I think really exacerbates that. So, uh, you know, Hamilton was talking about um, he wasn't happy with the rear end, so they tried to take away some front wing to balance it out. But rather than that sort of balancing out, they then ha- he had a, like a loss of overall. Um, a loss of overall sort of cornering ability, which then incidentally he blamed on his track limits offences. I'm not sure if that one quite holds up, but I thought I thought the Toto Wolf team radio messages slash interventions were interesting because um yeah we've we've heard them before but when he was quite curt and about as curt as we've ever seen so basically we know the cars are uh naff shut up and get on uh i saw i saw it you know put and i think it's quite good i wonder if that's uh lewis you know you can have this thing where you say come on team brackley everyone's behind us what a great job we're doing well in order to make that message stick you can't then undermine it by slagging off their their hard work for for 71 laps i wonder if that's what sort of the the subtext of wolf jumping on the radio was there mm, yeah it's that, that whole kind of like gp2 engine thing what good does that do like that, that doesn't motivate quite, you quite and actually an interesting thing that you saw I, I love the insights that you guys bring to this podcast because it's when you it makes perfect sense. You say about the development of the weekend at the uh, Spanish Grand Prix. They gave all of that credit to Mick Schumacher and the simulator work overnight. And we went, he went away and he worked and he came back and they improved over that weekend, had a stellar result as well. So, oh man, I love uh, love uh, getting you guys on. I, I, I learn a lot as well and, and I love it. Sam, before we head off, uh, yeah, Mercedes, Aston Martin, any thoughts on any and any other teams that we haven't talked about yet? Um, Mercedes, they're just, as Matt said, they're just a bit lost at the most. Spain was incredible for them, and it's it's almost copy and paste from last year, really, where Spain was brilliant, and then they just 
couldn't really replicate that again. So, um, but going to Silverstone, Lewis at Silverstone, we know how that one usually goes. Um, it would be a brave man to predict that result again, though, this year with him scoring another win. Um, but no, other than that, Alpha Tauri are the team that stand out to me is just what is going on there. I mean, it's, it's a terrible car. DeVries and Sonoda both seems to get penalties for fun. Um, and it, it's just not going very well. Um, I, I don't know what the fix is there. I don't know how they turn that around because even the teams, there's no teams around them. Williams have pulled ahead. Haas are ahead. Alpha Terry are alone at the back and I don't know how they fix that one um, anytime soon. And Nick DeVries, bottom of the standings now because Logan Sargent finished 13th. Um, it's They're the only two drivers without a point and DeVries with his seat in danger at the foot of the table. Um, how long he'll be there is anyone's guess. I don't think very long. Yes. Daniel Ricciardo, polish your helmet. You might be, uh, you might be called up. Uh, yeah, so if you're heading off to any of the celebrations, if any of our UK listeners, uh, as the British Grand Prix gets into full swing, Williams are doing a, a kind of a thing in London, like a London roadshow thing, and Logan Sargent will be there on Monday, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But all the, you know, the drivers uh, will be there. Some of the drivers associated with the team. Uh, so Jensen Button's going to do some stuff if you're going along. I think Jamie Chadwick's going to be going along. and uh, uh, yeah, But not just Williams, of course, all the teams uh, that are based in the UK will probably be doing stuff for the fans and we head towards the, the British Grand Prix next. Well, that's our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to know what you thought of, uh, of today, what our experts have, have said, their opinions. You've, they've shared them with you. You can share them with us. The email address is podcast at autosport.com and we will, of course, be bringing you loads of coverage of the, the British Grand Prix as it's right on our doorstep. Thank you so much for listening to this one, and we'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.